So long to the middle schoolers heading off to Sunday school. Welcome everyone watching at home. Welcome all of you here. I feel the Holy Spirit present in this place. It's very special and, and special moments, milestone moments happen in this church. And um, it's a privilege to be uh, a witness to it. Have great seats to it for free. Uh, and one of them was what we experienced this morning in Kat's uh, commissioning. She'll be out in the lobby afterwards to pick up, if you want to pick up some information. I just want to share this, and I have permission to share this. This is a copy of World Vision magazine from uh, February, March, March edition 1995, when a young couple traveled to Romania, and they weren't planning on this, but they brought their daughter home after a long process. Here's a picture of Doug and Lisi and Kat that we just saw uh, this morning. I love this picture. It's precious. I, I should be very, I'll be very careful with it because there aren't very many copies of it. Well, welcome everyone. Today is October 31st. We had a wonderful trunk or treat event on Wednesday, our biggest outreach of the year. Over 700 guests were here on campus and over 100 volunteers. So I want to give a big thank you to all of our volunteers. And uh, everyone that uh, donated candy, thank you so much for that very special occasion. Uh, so today is October 31st, so I want to acknowledge a very special holiday that it is. So from Pastor Pete to all of you, happy Reformation Sunday. That's right. Today is Reformation Sunday, the day we honor an event that happened October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther, who was a, a scholar and a monk, wanted to raise a conversation of the concerns he saw in the life of the church. And there was no way of, of getting the notice out other, way, other than posting his concerns on the door of the cathedral in, in Wittenberg. And he nailed it to the door, a, a list of 95 things that he wanted to talk about, he wanted to have debate about. One of those concerns says this, the church's True treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what Reformation Sunday is all about. The church at that time, the medieval church, had lost sight of the gospel, papering over it God's word with layer upon layer of religion and tradition and superstition that led to corruption and false doctrines like the sale of indulgences, the treasury of merit, Purgatory and salvation through good works. So Reformation Day celebrates the return to the source. Ad fetus, it was a, a Latin rallying cry. Back to the source of life and light, which is the treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our first text this morning uh, comes from the gospel of Luke. And like our passage last week, which was uh, the story about Zacchaeus, on the surface, it seems to be about stewardship, and it is to a point. And it seems to be a passage that challenges our own commitment to the Lord, our personal, individual response to the Lord. And it is to a degree. But as we saw last week, and you'll see this morning, as we open God's word, there's much more going on. And I think it's very relevant to you and to me and to life of our church in the season of, of the Impact Initiative. So I ask you to invite 
you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. And it will be on the screen as well in just a moment. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. And this is what it says. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The court of women uh, was where women were allowed to be close to the temple. It was the only area where men and women could mingle and could be there. And it held their 13 golden receptacles with a a trumpet-shaped opening, and then it would funnel down to a lockbox. And so people, as they're on their way to worship, could go by and cast their offering into these uh, trumpet-shaped funnels that would go into the treasury uh, that would support the ministry of the temple. And here we have Jesus noticing a poor widow deposit two small copper coins. In the King James Version, it says two mites worth less than pennies. At the same time, he sees the rich people are dropping in much larger gifts. I mean, imagine uh, at that time, money was oftentimes uh, precious metals, gold and silver and whatnot, and going by and pouring a large offering into that funnel and all the clanging noise they would make. Have you ever been at Fred Meyer or Safeway? They have one of those collectors for your coins. You can dump it all in and get... It would sound like that. But Jesus saw, even in the midst of their much larger gift, he saw what no one else did. He saw the humble gift of her sacrifice. The other gifts made a lot of noise, but it did not cost the contributors very much at all. But the widow's investment meant the most. And Jesus says, she put in more than all the others. She put in more than anyone else because those two pennies were all she had to offer up to the Lord of the temple. Now, please listen. There's clearly a teaching here of what I just said. It's clear as day, a very familiar passage if you've been in church, a very familiar stewardship passage, and that's, that's not, not, I'm not going to say it's wrong, but I'm going to say there's more to it. And we talked about this actually with, among the elders this past Monday night. I said, have you heard this passage? And everyone said, of course we've heard this passage. And what are the things that, that you would understand to mean, and how would it be applied? And we shared that. And, and these are truly, clearly implications of a passage like this. Number one, God notices what man overlooks. Number two, God values what man does not. Three, giving out of one's wealth doesn't please the Lord half as much as one's sacrifice. That's all there in the text. It's also in the version in Mark's gospel, I believe it's chapter 12. It can be applied that way. But, I think there's a lot more going on in this passage than meets the eye. A deeper meaning of this story that has profound implications 
for our church, for you individually, collectively, as we're in the process of discerning what the Lord would call us to contribute and to invest in the impact initiative, these major plans of, of expanding our campus ministries to our community. We need to go back to the source. Ad fontis, that same concept. We need to understand what was Jesus really saying? Each story included in the gospel contributes to the, the larger story about Jesus, his identity and mission, his authority and his compassion. So what is he saying? What is he actually trying to communicate? Is he praising the actions of the widow? The only way to answer the question is to examine the text in context. We have to interpret each story, how it connects to all the others. And friends, I won't always be here. Someone won't always be at the pulpit to help us understand God's word. Praise God, we have his word in a language we can understand. Thank you, Reformation Day. And you are the people of God. You are the priesthood of all believers. You have the ability to open God's word and between yourself and the Holy Spirit discern what it says. And so my job is to preach, is to proclaim, try to be winsome, try to tell a story or two, but it's mostly to equip the saints so you can get this yourself. We have to interpret in context. So let's go back to the preceding passage, Luke chapter 20, the final verses 45 to 47. Understand what just happened before we see the scene in the temple courts. Jesus and company are finally in Jerusalem, chapter 20. Things are winding down. It's Wednesday before the Passion. That means it's 24 hours before he's going to be arrested and two days before his execution. And in those waning hours throughout Luke chapter 20, and we saw this in the very first sermon of the series in John chapter 10, same timing, in those final hours, It seems that the most important message that Jesus wants to get out to everyone is a warning against the religious leaders of Israel. As I said, we saw that in John 10. We've seen that throughout this series. As Jesus is creating a place for everyone to invite all kinds of people to come into his kingdom, invite them into the sheepfold, he is getting major resistance. Okay, with that context, let's pick it up. Verse 45. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law, of Torah. They like to walk around in flowing robes, and they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. And they love having the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. And they devour widows' houses And for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus is warning against bad religion, against hypocrisy, against pride and hubris and injustice of a system that is broken, gussied up to look good. He says he will judge them. He's pointing out to bad leadership of these men in in authority 
who love to have all the praise of the people. They love their high place in society while ignoring the most vulnerable. And he doesn't mince words here, does he? He's not using parables or analogies. He's literally saying they devour widows' houses. The shepherds of God overseeing the sheepfold are selling a widow's home for profit. The husband's gone. There's no family support. And they take the possession of the house and they sell that house and then they have a lengthy prayer. Thank you, O Lord, for the provision for our temple, our projects, lining our pockets. Jesus is calling out injustice, fraud, and he's pronouncing judgment. And then what's the next scene? What we just read. The rich dropping in their offering. And and I love when we had this Bible study with the elders last Monday night. We were all in the word. We were seeing it for the first time in some ways. And Rich Craig was the one who said, gosh, I've never noticed this. But maybe some of the profits from the sale of that house were even the offerings that these people were dropping in. Like a little surcharge, like a little tax, making a big show of it. An ill-gotten gain. Of selling a widow's house from under her. And then we see what Jesus sees. A destitute woman, a widow. Presumably, uh, there's no kids involved. There's no support there because she's there alone. She's slipping into abject poverty. And she gives her last two cents to a false religious system. She's placed her trust in these people her whole life. She's placed her trust in the temple, in religion, in these men who are like wolves in sheep's clothing. Now are you getting the big picture? Friends, I don't believe that Jesus is praising her for putting in all she had. Because in another way of looking at it, she doesn't point to her as an example of faith. Whenever Jesus interacts with someone, and, and wants to uh, emulate or, or, or lift up or praise them, he points to them and points out what they've done and says to his disciples, says to everyone listening, hey, look at this great example. We've seen that already. To the centurion, he says, I've never seen faith like this in Israel. Is everyone listening? This is amazing. In the last week, Zacchaeus, a true son of Abraham, he praises them. He says, this is what it looks like if you're really living in the kingdom. He doesn't do that with the widow. His words aren't praise. They're lament. They are a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. He's lamenting the injustice, the travesty, the absurdity of a religion that would take everything from a widow and say a prayer and accept that offering. And he had just said, quote, these men will be punished most Severely. So this isn't to take notes and say, well, this is what Jesus wants. This is a tragedy. Jesus' mission is to bring good news to the poor, especially in the Gospel of Luke. He doesn't add the qualifier poor in spirit. He says, no, the poor. Not, not to impoverish the poor even further. Can you imagine believing 
in a deity that would want to take everything from someone who has already nothing. But you see, she felt the impact of her contribution, the last of her money to buy food to survive. She felt that much more than the rich people giving out of their wealth. They didn't need that money to begin with. So I'm trying to communicate. I'm trying to, to feel it with you. I think Jesus is angry here. I think it makes the Lord angry when there is corruption. A corrupt system that no longer honors the Torah. No longer honors God's heart for justice. Biblical justice. And we need to take back that word from culture and say it starts with God's word. This is the definition of justice. A wholeness return. A holistic understanding of all of our life being rightly put back together according to God's plan for us, the restoration of wholeness, especially in the care for those in most in need. But here's this lady, who should be a benefactor of the three-year tithe, by the way, the Old Testament, a special tithe given every third year, a special offering that would go out to those in, most in need. Instead, a system is creating the wealthy religious celebrities who love to be praised and line their pockets. And that's a system that needs to be torn down. And that is exactly what happens. Look at the next passage. Right after we had the setup, we had the widow being seen, and then the very next scene, Luke 21, 5 and 6. Remember, they're in Jerusalem. These guys have been traveling. They're homeless for three years, wandering around Nazareth. Now they're in the big city, and they see the temple. It says... Some of Jesus' disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And the Lord God announced Through his son, judgment would happen, and it did. In A.D. 70, when Rome laid siege to Jerusalem, and the temple was destroyed, and all that's left there is the foundation of the western wall, the wailing wall. Jesus promised to do for people what the religious leaders of the temple could not provide. He offered forgiveness of sins, that he write with the Lord God without having to pay it. He said he will pay it all. And that's what caused so much trouble. And that's what led to the revolution of his death and resurrection on the cross. That God in his infinite mercy poured out his wrath on cross on Christ on the cross So that those who place their trust in Jesus, those who say, I believe in Jesus, those who say, with whatever measure of understanding and belief, I'm going to give it to Jesus. I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm going to place my trust in him, would be saved, would live, and would be welcomed in a place for every one of us into his kingdom. Hallelujah. And here's how it's relevant for us, church, and you watching at home, and all of us here. By God's grace alone, 
Reformation Sunday. Through faith in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, Maple Valley Church, our fellowship, our, our koinonia, that's a Greek word that, that speaks of the, the, the spiritual community that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ, this fellowship of doing life together. Here we serve in his name and to his glory to serve the God of justice and mercy and grace and love. And I don't think God would ever want any of his people to give a single cent to a corrupt system. Do you agree with that? Amen. He does want well-resourced people to care for the vulnerable. And so I take this opportunity to say to all of you, in my capacity as one of the pastors here at Maple Valley Church, our ministries, our mission, all of what we do here, all of what we leverage here, all the resources that you entrust to our, our elders, our deacons, our trustees, our mission council, is used to help people. And we will continue to help people, and we will continue to give away and support and We oftentimes don't do a great job of communicating to you all of what's happening because we want to be modest. We don't want the left hand to know what the right hand's doing. You don't need to know every single week a check being written, $10,000 to buy Maple Place or thousands of dollars given to someone in need who's going to be kicked out of their home or is not able to provide for their family. It's happening all the time. It was happening right over here between services. It's constantly happening. It's happening on our campus and online but I want you to hear from me. This is true. We will always be committed to being a community that serves others. Because that's what we're called to do. James 1.27 makes it clear. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the Lord and Father is to care for the orphans and widows in their distress. And when we help poor people, when we invest in biblical justice, We're seeing the way Jesus sees people. We're training up our young people. Our middle schoolers are hearing this lesson. Our high schoolers are going to go and have a a study and talk more about this, kind of unpack it. When we're doing that, you know what we're also doing? We're worshiping God. It's an act of worship. It's not just an act of service. You can join a service program. This is a church. We're glorifying God. We're lifting up the name of Jesus. Proverbs 14, 31 Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. Shows contempt for the fact that they are made in the image of God. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So let us do what we can to make our church the first place needy people and needy Christians especially can find help. The first place in South King County. I'd like to invite Rob and the team to come up. We're going to sing one more song. Friends, I invite you as you're continuing to be challenged to to pray over what the Lord would have you pledge, uh, if if the Lord would have you pledge to this uh, impact initiative and the impact that God wants to have through his church. I want to ask for something that seems audacious, but I want 100% participation. I would love to have every one of us here that stood up for Cat would say, yes, we're going to stand together for this opportunity. Thank you, high school students, as they head out. The children are already learning this. They're taking an offering. They have a little plastic, clear plastic box that they're bringing their offering each Sunday to contribute, to rededicate ourselves before the Lord.
I want to challenge you to do that, to rededicate yourselves before the Lord. And even even sometime this week, or maybe even this afternoon before the game, uh, which we should probably win. Uh, We'll see. Take out a legal pad of paper and write down all of your assets on that piece of paper. Everything that you own, everything with the key fits into, any, anything you have in your accounts, whatever it is, make, make an assessment of what you have on a piece of paper and leave it on your dining room or your kitchen table and just say, Lord, I want to rededicate this. We want to rededicate all of this to you, Lord. Everything we see on this has come by your hand. I just want to ask you to do that today. To rededicate everything before the Lord. The Apostle Paul had an interesting relationship with the church in Corinth. He, he loved them, he cared for them, he blessed them. But, but later in ministry, when he wrote 2 Corinthians, th- there was a strain in that relationship. Maybe he, he had stepped uh, over into areas he shouldn't. Maybe he had upset them in some way. And so he's trying to rebuild a rapport with them. And, and by way of asking, he has to wait until chapter 8 to ask for a special offering for the church in Jerusalem where brothers and sisters are destitute and in great need. And so he wants to give them the opportunity to give. He knows this will bless them as they are a blessing. This is a very wealthy community in Corinth. And he lifts up to them the example of the Macedonian church. Not a wealthy church, pretty, pretty poor church. And yet they gave so much to those brothers and sisters in Jerusalem in need. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 8, 5. He said, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. So would you please join me in prayer? Let's commit ourselves first to the Lord and then to what the Lord would have us do. Lord Jesus, help us to see what you see. Lord God, help us to treasure what you treasure. So often we talk about time, talent, and and then the other T word of treasure because it's a nice uh, alliteration, uh, but we're talking about money. We're not talking about treasure. The only treasure is you and your gospel. The treasure you've done in our lives and how you've rescued us and how you've brought us to life and how you've adopted us into your father's household. Gracious Father, we pray for your holy Catholic small c church. Universal Church. Fill it with all truth and peace. Where there is corruption, purify it. Where it is in error, direct it. Where there is anything wrong, in the direction your church goes, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it, confirm, Lord God. And where it is in need, provide for it. Where the church is divided, reunited for the sake of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Our treasure, our savior, our king. So Lord, we want to rededicate all that you've given to us. All the things that we have done in our lives that have brought us to this point. We rededicate it to you, Lord God. We surrender ourselves again to you. We ask you, Lord, that you would return us to the source of life and light. Christ Jesus, amen.